Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. I'm Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host Dave Giannini. Welcome, Dave. Thanks. I love how you're getting more and more Australian as the show. Good day. That's where we're at. Okay. All right. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about too many well, American movies. You got to get the Aussie in there somehow. <laughs> well, I I do this only because I noticed uh, in between our recordings last time. Um, that we've been added immediately to there's a there is somebody who uh, runs a catalog of uh, podcast uh, Australian podcasts and her name's Cherry. Uh, she runs this uh, group of things uh, called the Great Australian Pods dot com, where she basically keeps a host uh, a list of all of the Australian podcasts on there, and we've just been recently added hey, on there as how well. About so that? Today it is. <laughs> <laughs> We're already great, like three episodes in, and we've hit greatness. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's a low barrier. It's a low bar in Australia, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but this this particular episode, we're discussing All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's a kind of an apt day to be recording this as well. Um, a bit of a, a backyard talk. We're recording this on the 25th of April, 2020, uh, so a little bit in advance of when it's actually coming out. Um, but for Australians, that's Anzac Day. Uh, it's a pretty major day of celebration and honouring the soldiers who have fought in the wars that have passed. And it started as a way of honouring the soldiers who lost their lives in World War I. And anybody who's seen Peter Weir's great film Gallipoli uh, would know that, you know, it's a pretty important relationship that Australia and New Zealand have with their soldiers. And so watching this film on... Antac Day carries a bit of a resonance for me, uh, even though I personally don't have any familial connections to soldiers or war. None of my uh, family has uh, gone to the military or been into the military. I know that it's a bit of a sore point for my grandfather, who was 16 at the time uh, that World War II was on, and he was really hoping to be able to go and fight in World War II. Um, but he, and he tried to go and uh, enlist, and they denied him the opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, fortunate for me, because, you know, I might not be here if he did actually go across and, and fight. Um, but then on the same hand, I don't have that connection to soldiers. I don't have that emotional connection to Uh, the people who've gone and fought for us in wars around the world. And it's films like this. And for me, growing up watching Breaking Morant and Saving Private Ryan and stuff like that has given me a relationship with those soldiers and made me understand and appreciate their 
role in keeping us all safe. Uh, I'm curious for you, Dave, um, do you, does your family have a history with the military? Is it uh, something that you hold in high regard or anything like that? It's actually, it's it's difficult for me because my family does have some uh, history of being involved in the military, but like my own personal politics keep me pretty separate from that because I'm pretty, I'm pretty much a dyed in the wool liberal and we're not big on uh, uh, liberal in the United States, by the way. I know it's different in different parts of the world when you say the term liberal, Uh, but we're pretty anti-war and I kind of always have been. And a lot of that is because I had a I had a relative who was in the Vietnam conflict uh, and was pretty damaged by that and never wanted to talk about it. And that was like one of the most kind of one of the moments in my childhood that really left an impact on me, like trying to have a discussion about this thing and not being able to because it was so disturbing to him. Um, So it's one of those I keep a distant respect for our military. I, I don't I'm not a person who would ever want to join uh, in armed forces, but there are certain times in our history where it was necessary. And you mentioned World War II. That was, I think, a simpler time in warfare where it was like the the quote-unquote villain, the bad guy, is pretty easy when it's Nazis. You know, that's like, okay, that's something to fight against. And of course, there are many other reasons that that war was fought, but that was kind of the, the reason that's kind of put on the poster. You know, like that is the one like, okay, we got to stop the Nazis. They've obviously gone too far. They are killing thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, who are not involved in conflict, so let's put a stop to that. That makes a lot of sense to me. But as you grow, as you grow older as a person, and as the world becomes more complex, I think it gets more difficult to be pro-military and to be pro-war because so much of it is about money and oil and land, and it just becomes really, really difficult. And I think that is why, in a lot of ways, this movie surprised me, given that it was made in the '30s, about how complex it is about the horrors of war. And, you know, kind of takes a look at, you know, some of the people who are in control shouldn't be in control and they are kind of buffoons. And some of the people who are on the ground level know so much more than everyone else. And I think it's also a they made a really interesting choice in something because I went into this kind of blind and know anything about it. I did not expect this to be following German soldiers. (laughs) Like I was like, oh, I I assumed like, okay, it's going to be about American soldiers. Rara America isn't this great. And it's, I think it's a really interesting decision because I think it is more palatable for American audiences to see the horrors of war and how stupid war can be and how much of a terrible choice it can be if you put a German face, a German uniform on it. I think this is a very different movie if you're following American soldiers and it might be looked on poorly by people of the time. Yeah, and, and I mean, in certain ways, like Wings is a film that, that- is I mean that is about American soldiers and we've already seen how gung-ho and how patriotic that particular film is it's a great film but it's certainly very much a celebration of the soldier it's a very much a celebration of war in itself there is a mastery there is a magnificence to war there is an awe-inspiring nature to war in that particular film and while it makes for an entertaining movie um, it's a reality that existed it's something that genuinely existed whereas all quiet on the western front it doesn't demonize the soldier and it doesn't demonize uh the the mechanics that that push the soldier into play initially uh it certainly just presents what the soldier's journey is and what the soldier how the soldier plays in the actual machinations of war and and the way that governments and and these rulers just basically say here 
we're going to throw these men out into a field. They're going to kill each other. The person, the, the team that kills the most uh, is going to be the victor, basically, um, which is terrible. And I want to, I want to start uh, this discussion as well by, I'm going to read off the, the title card for this film um, because I think it's worthwhile mentioning uh, what the tone is set for All Quiet on the Western Front going into it. It says, this story is neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Now, it's worthwhile noting, too, that that particular opening frame stays on screen for a good 30 seconds or so. It's a long time, and... It lets you sit with those words because they're important to sit with. It's important to take away what we're going to be walking into with these particular characters. It's not all uh, cheers and 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 you know celebration, which is a lot of what Wings was in a certain way, celebrating the notion of yes, I can't wait to go to war. I can't wait to defend my country, and yet. As you're saying, this is about German soldiers. These are attacking forces, and they're humanized. Um, I found that really fascinating. So as you were saying, you went into this blind. What was it like being presented with a title card like that? It was pretty shocking, um, given the context of the time. I think a lot of us now, we look at, you know, as I mentioned in kind of in the introduction of this, we think of the complexity of war as a modern idea. Um, so to see this in 1930 was like, oh, we're ta- we've been talking about this for 90 years, about how war is actually affecting these men. And I think it's I think it's important not only to have that title card, but to have the opening essentially be this professor telling them they're going to be these great soldiers and showing how these these young boys are molded into soldiers from the very beginning. And they're not warned. They're not told how dangerous this could be. This is what we must do. Strike with all our power. Give every ounce of strength to win victory before the end of the year. It is with reluctance that I bring this subject up again. You are the life of the fatherland, you boys. You are the iron men of Germany. You are the gay heroes who will repulse the enemy when you are called upon to do so. It is not for me to suggest that any of you should stand up and offer to defend his country. But I wonder if such a thing is going through your heads. I know that in one of the schools, the boys have risen up in the classroom and enlisted in a mass. And of course, if such a thing should happen here, You would not blame me for a feeling of pride. Perhaps some will say that you should not be allowed to go yet, that you are too young, that you have homes, mothers, fathers, that you should not be torn away. Are your fathers so forgetful of their fatherland that they would let it perish rather than you? Are your mothers so weak that they cannot send a son to defend the land which gave them birth? And after all, is a little experience such a bad thing for a boy? Is the honor of wearing a uniform 
something from which we should run? And if our young lady's glory in those who wear it, is that anything to be ashamed of? I know you have never desired the adulation of heroes. That has not been part of my teaching. We have sought to make ourselves worthy and let a claim come when it would. But to be foremost in battle is a virtue not to be despised. I believe it will be a quick war, but there will be few losses. But if losses there must be, then let us remember the Latin phrase which must have come to the lips of many a Roman when he stood embattled in a foreign land. Dulce et decorum est pro patria more. Sweet and fitting it is to die for the fatherland. Some of you may have ambitions. I know of one young man who has great promise as a writer, and he has written the first act of a tragedy, which would be a credit to one of the masters. And he is dreaming, I suppose, of following in the footsteps of Goethe and Schiller, and I hope he will. But now, our country calls. The fatherland needs leaders. Personal ambition must be thrown aside in the one great sacrifice for our country. Here is a glorious beginning for your lives. The field of honor calls you. Why are we here? You, Crop, what has kept you back? You, Muller, you know how much you're needed. Ah, I see you look at your leader. And I, too, look to you, Paul Baumer. And I wonder what you are going to do. I'll go. I want to go. Count on me. Me, too. I'm ready. I'm not going to stay home. We've got to do. Let's all stick together. We'll be generous to come through, babe. All right. All right. I'll go. That's the way. It seems obvious, like, war is dangerous, but you have to think back to when you were, like, essentially in high school like, you know, 17, 18 years old, you think you're never going to die. Like, there's been studies about this where people, before they're 25, their brains aren't fully formed yet, and they don't, they understand that people die. They don't understand that they're actually in danger, which is why we take all these crazy risks when we're teenagers. We drive fast. We have unprotected sex. We do all these crazy things that we know logically are not smart to do. And this is what they're, they're being gleaned here and they're you know that is why and this still happens unfortunately that is why the armed forces particularly in america kind of preys upon the young you know they have recruiters out there at high schools at career fairs telling them it's a really great opportunity in some ways it is it pays for your college you know it does all these wonderful things but if you're in a time of war you are in great danger and we lose generations of young men yeah and that's that's the thing that that really struck me as the most devastating moment and near the end the soldier that we follow through this journey paul he's played by lou Ayres, 
in a really beautiful performance. It's a great performance. And near the end, he has uh, been, he's been through a lot of the war and then he returns home for a short reprieve and then he goes back to the war because being home is just too difficult. There is too much celebration and too many people injecting their own opinions. And we'll get onto that later on. Um, but when he goes back and he sees the, the remnants of the second battalion that he's part of, and there's nobody there that he knew. And one of the soldiers that he asks, he says, oh, how old are you? And the soldier says, I'm 16. And he's baby faced guy. He's a baby faced teenager. And he's a no, like, he has a whole world in front of him. And yet, at the beginning of the film, Paul remarks about, um, you know, there's a there's a slight remark about how old they are. And he's only 17, 18 years old himself. But at the end, he looks 30, 40 years old. He's aged decades in the space of months. And it's, a, it's heartbreaking. It's genuinely heartbreaking to know that there were so many soldiers out there who lost their lives and, and millions of people lost their lives. And it's just a, it's just a terrifying thing. And I'm glad and, and thankful in a lot of ways that I don't have to do that or didn't have to do that. It wasn't, I wasn't conscripted for anything. I had a choice to be a soldier or not to be a soldier, but that's the other thing that I think this film certainly leans on is that it talks about, patriotism in a really interesting way it talks about whether the dedication to your country is worth more than your life whether losing your life for your country is the the greatest honor and privilege that you could have which is a for me i can't even fathom that like i love australia i do i'm not going to fight for it though like i (laughs) you know and i i hate to bring up um i hate to bring up a Marvel movie, you know, I don't want to make this a consistent thing where we bring up the MCU every single time, but there was something about Thor Ragnarok, which stuck with me quite a bit where, you know, the end of that film is like, we don't need Asgard, like home is within us. And that's a basic concept that is shown in in a lot of ways, but I keep on coming back to that particular film in some way, because it feels like such a strong point to have that, Home is within us. Yes, I love Australia. Yes, I love America and all this kind of stuff. But I'm not going to die for this country. If it means if it means the end of me, then it's not worth it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, this film has got me on a, on a wheel. Like, it's just, it's spun me for a loop. It's such a magnificent film. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is the movie starts off with that idea of, like, the best thing you can do is lay down your life for your country. And all these young boys are like really into this and they're going. And I love the fact that as this film goes on, you find out that really from our main character's perspective, the thing that matters is his brothers in arms, not the country. What finally I think breaks him is his mentor dying in his arms. And he can't even fathom the fact that he's dead, even as he's carrying his lifeless body back to the medical tent. He's like, no, no, he's fine. He just passed out. It's not a problem. Uh, and then, you know, he realizes that, like, no, this this man who is, like, larger than life and has been since he showed up on the screen for us as well dies in this unceremonious way. It's not a giant death scene. He doesn't grasp the dirt at the end. It's just like he just dies in this kind of horrific way, and you don't even really know it until it's well passed over. 
Um, and I think I give the film a lot of credit for that because a lot of war films, we love having either a dramatic death scene or like a sniper bullet taking someone out unexpectedly. And it's like sometimes the, there's like a malaise to death in war because it's it's constantly there. And I love that they made that choice. I think the only dealing negatives I have about this film, and they're very few, um, oh, and they're owed to kind of the style of film that was done uh, during this time, is that there's a couple, there's two or three like speechy moments. Um, you know, there's like when he, you know, he accidentally kills somebody who surprised him in the pit and then, you know, gives the speech about we're the same. And I think like maybe if you do it now, there's a different way to do that that's a little more subtle. But I think it still works within the context of this film. But I think for modern viewers, it might be a little bit hard to swallow. I like that. I, I like that sequence quite a lot um, because it is, you know, it is a little bit speechy, a little bit, uh, you know, reaching the back seats and stuff like that. But it's, um, it hit, it hit the right spot for me because it's not just certainly within the film itself. It's not just our realization that they're both the same. We know that already, but it's the character's realization and that, that immediacy of what he's been doing and, and the fact that, you know, so often he's just been killing basically himself on the, on another side of the field uh, I, it carried weight for me, and I thought that was a really powerful moment. And even though, yeah, sure, the dialogue itself is a little bit cheesy, but it's still, it's still really, really impactful. I, I was quite moved. Yeah. In I mean, you definitely need it. I think the character growth hinges on that moment. If you don't have it, I don't think the movie works at all. Like, you need that moment where he's questioning himself and everything he's done. And I think the director makes this incredibly intelligent choice to like for 99% of the movie, the enemy is completely faceless and not in a way where it's demonizing. Um, there's a lot of war films where we never see the other side because we need to see them as the enemy, but just like, because our lead character never sees them, you know? And it's just like, and then all of a sudden like, Oh yeah, these people are real. And it gives you that moment of realization. Yeah. So I want to go into um, Francois Truffaut has said that there was no such thing as an anti-war film um, because of the fact that, you know, as we alluded in the, 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 the short episode that was uh, hinting at what we were going to be discussing in this particular episode, um, you know, there, there is an excitement to war. There is a thrill to the way that war is presented. And yet, with All Quiet on the Western Front, it is quite purely an anti-war film and i think in the the battle sequences alone one of the things which i love about the battle sequences is that they actively go against the idea that Truffaut mentions that it's exciting it's invigorating it's it's exhilarating um because it's the way that they're presented is that it is a cacophony of violence and and it is uh, nauseating with how confusing it actually is because you have men rushing from one side, rushing from another. You don't know who's who. Their helmets both look the same. There's a, you know, this basically this vomit of uh, a barbed wire and mud, and it just makes it a mess to look at. And it's distressing and it's confusing and it's not exciting. You're not thrilled because you're alarmed, you're stressed, you're distressed. It's, it's a, I found that the battle sequence is just brilliant because of how, how well they were presented, but also how well they were edited to make the 
impression of what it must be like to be in battle. It's not a thrilling thing to be in battle. It's not exciting to be able to fight a, a, a you know, a soldier from an, a, a different country. It's not exciting to do that. And the battle sequences show that. Do you think that this film leans into that anti-war, that anti-war rhetoric quite well? Is it matching what uh, Truffaut hmm. says? Is there an anti-war film? So I think, very generally speaking, Truffaut is right. I think it is... I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's very difficult to make a war film anti-war because you never want to disrespect the memory of soldiers who have died. So you want to show some of the heroism, too, which can lean towards glorification of war. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible. Um, I think there are a couple movies that do it well, and I think... All Quiet on the Western Front is one of them. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. One of them is what you mentioned, the kind of confusion and terrifying nature of war and the kind of reactionary aspect. It's not like we're going to take this hill and we're going to do this thing. It's like we're going to react and try to save our own lives. It's not. It stops becoming a thought process. It just becomes survival. So I think that helps. The other thing that helps is showing the growth or in some ways the regression of these characters. In the very beginning, when they're first training, there's a lot of big talk, you know? Oh, I can't wait to kill the enemy. I can't wait to stab them with this and blah, 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 you know? And they just, like, are ready. I want to be on the front lines. I want to be infantry because that's, that's where the action is. And then there's this stark difference between their thoughts about where the action is and what it's really like. Like, to the point when they first hook up with their troop, like, there's no food. Like, something as simple as that. Like, oh, we are in hell. Like, this is not... This is not going to be fun. This is not going to be full of glory. This is not going to be full of heroism. This is going to be a bad time, and we're lucky if we survive. And you get that right away, and then it's hammered home with the actual like war and battle sequences. So I think this is—if you want to make an anti-war movie, this is how to do it. This is masterfully done. Um, it leans into the the youth of these boys and how excited they are about it and then rips it away very quickly. There's not even a moment early in the film where somebody gets a kill and they're like, yeah, this is amazing. And then it gets taken away. Like it's taken away as soon as we meet up with, uh, you know, the other group of our main characters who kind of tell them what it's really like out there. Mm. And it's it's interesting as well, like in those early sequences where their their commanding officer is a person who they all know because he was the postman. And when they see him as their commanding officer, they just can't see him as a commanding officer. They haven't learned the the nature of what it means to be a commanding officer and needing the respect and all that kind of stuff that comes with that position. And so they just treat him like the postman that they always know. And that that was just both a you know if there's one moment where i think that um i just kind of wish that there was a little bit more added to it or it was removed was how they uh they prank the officer and the the postman and basically um tie him up and then throw him in a mud pit and there's no resolution to that other than they go straight into war after that which maybe is its resolution in itself but I kept on expecting there to be some further comeuppance, even though we do see him later on, where he is just somebody who directs orders and yet never properly engages in war. And that's what I like about this film a lot as well, is that it 
it portrays armchair politics and armchair discussions in a terrifying manner. There is the sequence near the end of the film and a, a lot of the, the impact of this film comes near the end, but the sequence where Paul goes back home and he is sitting in a bar talking to some of the older people from his town and they're all like, no, you don't understand about what you got to do over there. Like, you have no idea. It's all about the bigger picture. What needs to be done is you guys need to just keep on going hard and doing all this kind of stuff and pushing yourself. And if you boys want to come home, uh, let me show you what you must do before you can come home. Give us a hand there, men. Now then, there's the line. It runs so, in a V. Here is San Quentin. You can see for yourself. You're almost through now. All right? Shove ahead out there and don't stick to that everlasting trench warfare. Smash through the Johnnies. And then you will have peace. When you get in it, the war isn't the way it looks back here. Oh, you don't know anything about it. Of course, you know about the details. But this relates to the whole. And you can't judge that. Of course, you do your duty and uh, you risk your life. But for that, you receive the highest honor. And Paul's reaction is like, I've been on the front line. You have no idea what it is. And instead of actually confronting them and, and arguing his point, he just gets up and leaves. He sees how fruitless the endeavor is to actually engage in that kind of conversation. And that's heartbreaking. It's sad because it shows that the people at home who think that they can dictate and say exactly what needs to go on in the battlefields have no idea. Yeah, and I think uh, even beyond that, I think this movie makes a, a really interesting point about kind of the buffoonery of command. Um, the only characters you grow to respect are the people who end up treating our lead character like an equal. Uh, like when he first kind of hooks up with this this troop and they're looking for food, I was expecting like, oh, this guy is going to be the like, you know, the rough character with a heart of gold eventually. But like pretty quickly, they welcome Paul in like once like we're all in it together, man. Doesn't, you know, saluting. We don't really do that. Uh, but then Himmelstoss, as you mentioned, the guy who was the, the postman. I love the fact that there's no comeuppance for their actions um, of, you know you know, kicking him and leaving him in the mud and then going off to war. I love that that is left up in the air because it's clear that if this guy cannot get the respect of new recruits, he certainly doesn't have the respect of superior. So it doesn't even matter what is on his sleeve. And I think the characters we are meant to love, that is a, that is a theme that runs through is that your rank doesn't matter. And that we're all in this together. You don't have to salute me. You just We just have to do this all together and find a way to survive one way or another. And I like the fact that because a lot of war movies will have the like the commanding officer who's kind of a jerk. But like eventually you'll see why because you'll get some backstory. And there's none of that here. It's just like, no, no, we are all, you know, according to the people back home and according to the people above us, we're all faceless and we're all expendable. So why would I waste time? trying to lord anything over you. And I think that's why Himmelstoss is the ultimate buffoon in this movie because he's the one who doesn't get it. And I love that that repeats through this. And I love that you have the moment of Paul standing up to him when he reappears and just like, oh, you want to punish me? You want to send me home? That's fine. I'd love to go home. 
fuck you. You know, it's just like, and it's like, what are you going to do? Like, there's literally nothing you can do to punish me that is more terrifying than what I'm about to walk into tomorrow. But that's the other thing which I think is really terrifying too, is that there is the the threat of court marshalling and the threat of being, you know, if somebody does walk or does, um, you know, run away or something like that, uh, you know, they could just be shot for desertion. And one of the characters does, there is... It's not explicitly mentioned, but one of the characters later on is mentioned that he had such a strong desire to go back home to be with his wife and be on his farm and be safe that he escaped. And my reading of it was that he escaped and they got oh, yeah. him. He's dead for sure. Yeah, because, there's no... Yeah, yep. he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this movie also does a wonderful job of building stakes very quickly like the first time they go and do anything as soldiers, you know, they have to go and like repair the barbed wire. And one of the characters we've been following is blinded by shrapnel and then wanders into machine gun fire. Like, what? oh God, like this is what we're up against. Like just the happenstance, the chance that could have been Paul very easily. Um, you know, it just happened to be this other guy. So like immediately it's like, oh, there's true danger here at every turn and it's done in a way that again is not glorifying the valor of battle he dies screaming like this is he like he lives screaming when he's blinded and then he wanders into fire and then he dies and he's gone and it is it's rough to watch there's a lot of sequences like that in here without being truly gory or over the top that are really disturbing because you just never know what's around the next ridge and I think that's the thing that really amplifies the, the the disturbing nature of it is that all of these men are stripped of their humanity. They're they're all stripped of who they are. They're disposable. And there's talk of like, oh, look, if you know, there's a there's a sequence or a short moment where uh, somebody alludes to a sniper who is just killing men on the other side, and he says, you know, he'll have an iron cross by the end of the day, and it's like. Okay, that's great, but like, sure, I get a, a medal or something like that, but that doesn't mean anything, really. It shows how how pointless those awards and medals and achievements are when you're still just dying for a country who doesn't care, who doesn't care about your name. When when Cat dies at the end of the movie, even the, the medics are like, no, he's dead. What's his name? All right, no worries. Just write it down. You know, whatever. No, no problem. You know, and there's no emotional connection for the loss that, that's taken place. It's all very much a, all right, he's dead. You've got to keep on moving forward. Otherwise, you'll be dead too. And that is just, it's terrifying because what are you fighting for? If you're not fighting for yourself, it doesn't mean anything. I just... <laughs> I, I'm at a loss. Like that, that's. I think this film has done exactly what it should do, which is it leaves the viewer feeling helpless and uh, like war is a fruitless endeavor. And there is a great speech in it where all of the soldiers are sitting around in a moment of reprieve where they're able to just relax for a moment and actually have something proper to eat that's not sawdust. Um, which is terrifying in itself, there's the concept of having to eat sawdust so you have something in your stomach. But there's this moment where they're talking about what they would do with war and how pointless war is. And then 
one of them, Cat, I believe it is, mentions, hey, why don't we just get the leaders and put them onto a pit that can take their shirts off and beat each other to death, and whoever is still standing at the end is the victor. Ah, uh, the French certainly deserve to be punished for starting this war. Everybody says it's somebody else. Well, how do they start a war? Well, one country offends another. How could one country offend another? You mean there's a mountain over in Germany gets mad at a field over in France? <laughs> well, stupid, one people offends another. Oh, that's it. I shouldn't be here at all. I don't feel offended. It don't apply to tramps like you. Good. Then I can be going home right away. Uh, yeah, you just try yeah, it. Yeah. You want to get shot? The Kaiser and me. <laughs> me and the Kaiser felt just alike about this war. We didn't either of us want any war, so I'm going home. He's there already. Somebody must have wanted it. Maybe it was the English. No, I don't want to shoot any Englishman. I never saw one till I came up here. And I suppose most of them never saw a German till they came up here. Oh, I'm sure they weren't asked about it. Well, it must be doing somebody some good. Not me and the Kaiser. I think maybe the Kaiser wanted a war. You leave us out of this. I don't see that. The Kaiser's got everything he needs. Well, he never had a war before. Every full-grown emperor needs one war to make him famous. Why, that's history. Yeah, generals, too. Sure. They need war. And manufacturers, they get rich. Mm -hmm. I think it's more a kind of fever. Nobody wants it in particular, and then all at once... Here it is. We didn't want it. The English didn't want it. And here we are, fighting. I'll tell you how it should all be done. Whenever there's a big war coming on, you should rope off a big field... And sell and tickets. Yeah. And... And on the big day, you should take all the kings and their cabinets and their generals, put them in the center dressed in their underpants, and let them fight it out with clubs. The best country wins. It's like, that sounds like a great idea because these people who are making the decisions are never going to hold a gun or be on a battlefield in their life. They're in the safety of a room far, far away dictating decisions. And yeah, I just, I find that disturbing. And I think it's, it's always interesting to watch a movie that was controversial many years ago. And sometimes you're like, really? This was controversial? I don't get it, but I get it. I get why this was controversial, although I find it interesting that it was eventually banned in Germany. The Nazi party hated this movie, thought it was anti-German, like to the point where they were like dropping stink bombs in theaters and releasing mice and, you know, uh, attacking members of the audience who they thought were Jewish. And it eventually was outlawed there. But I don't actually think that this movie is anti-German. I think it's couched in German soldiers, but I think it was it was done that way so it would be more palatable to american audiences so we can keep some distance but i think it's really about kind of how terrible war is in general i don't think the sides really truly matter and i guess it was also banned in uh in your in your home country uh in victoria australia uh because uh, there was like a pacifist movement going on at that time and they didn't want this in there so it was actually um it was banned in several places, and in some places the ban was only lifted like in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So a long time. It's mad. Yeah. yeah. 
But I can see why it's controversial. I can see um, how it, it it upsets people because it does outwardly state that this is a pointless thing. War is a pointless thing to engage in. And given that so much of our society is built around war, uh, I mean, isn't one of the America's main kind of economies war? Like you, you guys spend trillions of dollars on, yeah, which is just, it's incomprehensible. I can't get my head around that. I, I, I just can't figure that out at all. But it is, it is something that keeps things going. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's, it's a really horrible, horrible thing. And so when you're criticizing that as actively as a film like this does, I can see why it pisses people off. I can see why people would be upset and, and furious um, because it's so pointed as well. And the closing shot, which is such a devastating closing shot where, you know, Paul, the soldier that we've grown to love and care for and, and want to get out of this at the end, even though we know that if he does get out of this war alive at the end, there's still not going to be anything for him. He can't go back into society. He He's so changed. He's such a different person uh, that he's there's no place for him at all, except for the battlefield. And that, that moment where he sees a butterfly, and it's it's a little bit on the nose when you think about it in re- retrospect, but it does it in such a way that you're like, shit like you because moments before we're presented with him back at home seeing a collection of butterflies on his home wall and we're like that's nice and then minutes later he's dead on the battlefield after having reached out to touch a butterfly and it's a powerful moment that we're just forced to sit with especially and the 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 disc that i've got there is a gap of about 10 seconds in between that final shot that is just pure black. And then it says the end where you're like, Oh, okay. That's what we're leaving. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. There's a, there's a couple different uh, edits out there, a couple different versions. And in one of the versions, it ends with him being killed by the enemy sniper. In the end, there's an extra sequence. It shows the second company arriving at the front. And then it kind of crossfades into the image of a cemetery, just like really hammering this point home. Like, Look at what we're doing. We are sending these boys to die. Their job is to die. That's it. So it's like, I mean, this is, I mean, I can't even imagine this imagery being made in 2020. Like, this is incredible to watch, given the context that it was in, like, 1929, 1930. Like, this is gutsy, gutsy filmmaking. Like, and as you mentioned, I can see why this upset a lot of people. But I think the director would probably be very happy it upset a lot of people. That's the goal. This should upset you. This should spur you to some kind of action. And I think, you know, I think probably my favorite scene in the movie is when he comes back home and goes back to this class where he was first kind of indoctrinated into the idea of war and stands up and says, like, no, essentially this is bullshit. No, that's not what this is about. And, like, it really shows the growth of Paul. And what, and, but, but it's also, Right after that, you get the fact that, like, yeah, but it's all, none of it matters, really. Because now the only place he fits is on the front lines. He doesn't fit at home anymore because nobody knows what's going on. You know, and I think that's still true now. You don't really, I don't know what's going on. You don't truly know what's going on on the front lines of a war unless you've been in it. 
So this kind of misinformation campaign that's been going on for a century when with regards to war really hits home for Paul. And he's just like, I don't fit anywhere. I might as well go back. And that is severely depressing. Yeah. Well, and there's that line that's around that, those scenes as well that is death is stronger than duty to one's country, which is just in itself is like oh, the dialogue in this film and I know that some people might uh, be off put by the fact that these are English actors portraying German soldiers. So there is no uh, accents being used or anything like that or attempts to. Uh, Thank God. Thank God. Uh, yeah, I am <laughs> grateful for that because it would not work at all. But on the same hand as well, the, the, the fact that it's in English and it's in an English accent too uh helps familiarize it even though these are german characters and they do have german names and they are in germany and um things like that it does help familiarize it and make it a little bit more relatable because i think that if it was done with german actors and german accents and german dialect as well it would have been purely distancing it would have people would have rejected it wholeheartedly I mean, again, you look at the way people rejected Parasite because it's not in English. And yet, maybe if that, I'm not, you know, it's a discussion for further down the line, but maybe if that film was in English, then more people would be approachable and less racist about it. Um, Mm. But that's a whole discussion, you know, for another day. But but it's just, when you're dealing with somebody, I'm not equating, uh, I, I want to stress, I'm not equating south korea with um you know the villainous germans in world war one but it's just like when you are presenting a film like this from a side that hey they weren't great people um it makes it a little bit easier to understand where those people were coming from and as i mentioned in the wings discussion too like this is 1930 it's very close to it's 12 years after world war one and yet it's being so purely critical of it there is no it's not too soon or anything like that. It is embracing the aspect of shit. We lost a lot of people here, and a lot of bad stuff happened. Let's criticize that and assess it for what it is, rather than celebrating the fact that one country conquered another country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about is I think this um, this group of nominees is really interesting to me um i was only unable to watch one of them so along with all quiet in the western front there was the big house uh which i didn't get to watch and then there's disraeli the divorcee and the love parade and it's really interesting to me because it kind of like this encapsulates what the oscars love so the big house is a prison picture uh disraeli is a fucking boring biopic uh which the academy (laughs) always loves um the divorcee is like kind of a standard drama and the love parade is a romance like it has this this particular Oscar ceremony has everything. I do think they made the right choice. I think of the 80% of the movies that I watched that were nominated, I think All Quiet on the Western Front was easily the best movie. Um, but um, uh, The Divorcee is really good. It's a really fantastic film, so I'd recommend people watch that if they haven't. Uh, and The Love Parade is half of a really good movie and half of a really despicable, misogynistic take uh, on relationships. So it's like... It's it's I think the first half of the Love Parade is is pretty fantastic. Like just on its own would make a great great movie, and then it goes kind of goes sideways a little bit. Uh, but it's so interesting to have like all your kind of standards here uh, that the Academy really likes. Uh, you know, because obviously 
you know, the Western Front, you got the war picture, you know, like you got that, that the Academy has loved forever. So it's like, this is really interesting. And this, this job that I've given myself of watching as many nominees as are available is going to get harder and harder as we move forward. Cause I won't be like, well, that, I can't find that one. So move on to the next one. Cause when we get to like 60s, 70s, 80s, they're all going to be available. So nothing is lost to time anymore. So it'll get a little bit more complex, but I am glad that I watched um, all of these movies for various reasons. Not, not that all of them were tremendous, but just to see what kind of the Academy was looking at during this time. Yeah, I agree with that. And and certainly I've been uh, from afar interested in how you've been uh, appreciating the films and engaging with them and seeing what your reaction has been to them as well. Um, and it's going to be harder come 1932 as well, because from then on, for about a decade, the Academy Awards nominated 10, sometimes 11, 12 films for God Best Picture. God damn it. So, you know. <laughs> it's going to get bad you for me. You only have yourself to blame. <laughs> true, true. There's it's a reason why I was just going for the winners. But I'm curious, though. I am. I think it is certainly a worthwhile thing to do because, um, yes, while we're looking, while this particular podcast is about the winner and seeing what whether this particular film matters or not anymore, um, I am curious to see whether the films themselves that were nominated are still important. Um, because ideally, like not only should the Best Picture winner be important and cause uh, people who are interested in film history to seek them out and explore their relevance, but on the same hand, the other nominees too should encourage film lovers and film fans to seek out those films and the, the filmmakers work as well, because, you know, especially as we, as we reach modern time, you know, I'm looking at specifically the, the green book one, you know, there's some excellent films that were nominated there. Roma, black Klansman, star is born, you know, these fantastic movies, even black Panther as well. Like these are all magnificent films that are worthwhile being part of a discussion uh, that surrounds that particular film. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see um, how well you go with it and how soon you tap out of it. As well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Once we get to 10, 11 movies, I'm going to be like, I'll watch three uh, or four. <laughs> yeah. I live so much time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things which I do want to touch on as well as before we wrap up on All Quiet on the Western Front is that I find interesting to see the uh the the way that a soldier's downtime is presented in this film in comparison to wings like in wings it's a debaucherous kind of moment of celebration that that bubble sequence which is just a brilliant sequence in itself that um you know it's a lot of uh, frivolity and stuff like that being shown there whereas the downtime here is literal downtime it's depressing it's, you know, it's a moment of like, I have a time to breathe and holy shit, what have I been through? Like you're, you're forced to sit with how difficult that moment of silence and quiet is for these people. Um, I found that comparison really interesting, especially for, you know, two films that it's only two years apart from them winning. Um, it's interesting to see the comparison between these two. They're, two. they're both great, but they tell similar stories very differently. Yeah, and you know, maybe this is my own biases speaking, but this feels this one feels more genuine to me. Yes. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where Wings is is definitely it's a great movie, but it's out to it's out to celebrate. 
um, our heroes, right? And this is more interested in showing uh, a little bit more reality of what's going on. That's why I love I love the sequences when he goes on furlough and goes home um, to really show how alone he really is. You know, the shots with his mother in bed and the shots where he goes back to the back to the school and talks to people. It's just like, this is fucking pointless. Like, what are we what are we doing here? Like, I there's no space for me anymore. And it's like the only enjoyment you ever get from quote unquote downtime is the kind of gallows humor between he and his he and his fellow soldiers. That's it. Everything else is like just the the terror of the morning coming. And like, it's just like, at best, things are depressing. At worst, they're so anxiety inducing that you just want to scream, you know? And there are these sequences of you can feel like you can hear and see the shells being dropped um, outside of where they are. And they just have to sit and take it and hope that they don't die. And there's nothing that they can do. This kind of uselessness of this downtime that's even more useless than what they're doing when they're fighting. And it is really impactful stuff. Oh, very impactful. And I'm glad that I've got this film under my belt now as well, because I think that certainly as a as a kind of a, a landmark point to be able to go, all right, now I've seen All Quiet in the Western Front. This is this actually feels like all the film, the war films that I'll be watching going forward, I'll see through a different perspective because this film feels so um pointed and so exact in what it's trying to say and do that it almost it almost surprises me that there were war films after this like it feels like this was hey we've said everything that we need to say here uh and we've done it exactly what needs to be said here and it almost feels like there's nothing else that needs to be said and yet you know we continue on and and going forward looking at you know, the war films that have won after this, Deer Hunter, for example, even Lawrence of Arabia or Bridger the Rue and The Hurt Locker, all of these films uh, have something to say about war and have something to say uh, that extends the conversation of All Quiet on the Western Front. And I'm curious to see, re-watch those films because I've seen those ones before. I'm curious to re-watch them now having had this experience in my mind uh, going forward, and and this is a film that, while it's not an easy sit, it's one that I'm really eager to rewatch in a few years' time because I think that it's one that I'm going to be able to use as like a a, a point to be like a, a centering point, I guess, uh, to remind myself of of the the you know the pointlessness of war, of how desperate and desolate it is, and that's why for me this film certainly matters. And, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to do a ranking of all the best picture winners at the end of this. Um, I don't know, but I've already started that on letterbox. So. Yeah, same, yes. same here, <laughs> <laughs> but this immediately jumped into like the top tier. This is yeah. a top tier 10, top 10 film of the, the ones that I've seen so far. And I, I think this is a real masterpiece of cinema. And, and I know that it's already talked about a lot, but I'm, I'm glad that I finally got to it. I'm glad that this show has forced me to watch it because it wouldn't have been high on my list to watch, but I can't highly recommend this film enough. It is a magnificent, powerful piece of cinema. What about you? Does it, does it matter? Oh, hundred percent. It matters. Yeah. And kind of speaking of like kind of the ranking, like if, if sunrise didn't exist, this would definitely be number one. Sunrise just happens to be like 
a masterpiece that will matter forever and ever and ever. Like, I just think it's kind of a perfect film. Um, but this is pretty close. Like, this is, I mean, this is still like a, I mean, I still gave it like five stars on Letterboxd. Like, it is, it, and it absolutely matters. And it is such a gutsy and brave film to make, especially given the time. You kind of mentioned how close this was in time to the events that had actually happened. And to take this this look at it, and like, you know, it. I'm amazed that the Academy awarded this its highest honor, because the Academy, at least our, at least our recent version of it, it's not one that takes a lot of risks and goes for the kind of counterculture type movies, and that's exactly what this is. So, but I'm so glad they did because I probably, I probably would never have watched it if it if it wasn't an Oscar winning film. Um, so this again underscores the the importance. Of you know, we of course the show's called Awards Don't Matter, but this underscores the importance sometimes of awards. There are movies that no one would ever watch, especially in 2020, if they didn't have that little sticker of like Best Picture uh, from the Academy. But yeah, this absolutely matters, and it's also a movie I too will I see myself going back to view this again because I think it'll be really interesting to rewatch, especially the first half of this movie, knowing where it's going. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I, I just think that, you know, I, I keep on mentioning The Hurt Locker, but I can't help but think of the sequence in that film where he goes back home and he's in the supermarket and he's just staring at all the options that are on the shelves and it's just overwhelming and just like, it's almost like a modern version of this in a lot of ways. And and I'm I'm curious again to repeating myself here, but I'm curious to rewatch that in the future and see the continued discussion that the Academy Awards has with war, the continued conversation that they're having about their relationship with war and their opinions on war. I I just find because again, like I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but I just find it really fascinating that it's the one genre, it's the one subject that they repeatedly go back to decade after decade after decade. Almost every decade has had a, a war film win Best Picture. And that fascinates me a lot because it is such a powerful thing and it's such an important thing, but it's such a theatrical thing too. Um, it's so easy to be swept up in heroics in, in the, the, you know, the action of war. Um, and of course, you know, 1917 was predicted to be the Best Picture winner and it lost... Um, which in itself is a fascinating thing because I haven't seen it yet, but it's apparently great. Oh, and it is. It's fantastic. I wouldn't have been yeah. upset of, if that one, but like from a cultural perspective, it was so cool that Parasite won. Like that was just, oh, yeah. that's incredible. Very much so. So yeah, that to me is why this, this particular one matters because it's a, you know, for something that is so... Uh, centered in our lives uh for a lot of us as as we started this discussion talking about our relationships with with war and soldiers and the military um it's we all know somebody who has been associated with the military uh we have all had a relationship with it because it's so deeply tied into our governments our society our culture uh that it's important that we continually have these kinds of films out there that that do explore 
how bad war actually is, as a reminder that, yes, while we're thankful for these soldiers going off and fighting for us and for our safety and for our freedom, we are grateful for that. We are, but we can't help but ask every decade as the wars continue going on and on and on, what for? What's the point? Who's winning? And and that's the thing that, you know, this film actively discusses. It says, what is the point of war? Who is a who is a war for? What is the loss of all these soldiers actually for? And I think that's an important question to have in your mind as you're, you're living through society. Um, and it's great that these films exist to reinforce that question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think it's... Even for people who aren't into war movies, I think actually it's better for people who aren't into war movies. But this is a movie that definitely matters and one that I would recommend to just about anyone. Like, I think it's it's rare to find a great movie that is this approachable. Um, I think everybody can find something in here to latch on to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's All Quiet on the Western Front. Just an absolutely fantastic movie and one of the best we've covered so far. Yeah, and I think it'll be one of the best that we will all cover. It's might be downhill from here. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Way to really bring people episode. into the podcast, man. That's yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, with the with our second episode being on the the uh, excellent top shelf material mm. that is the Broadway melody. Jeez, you know, Jeez. I'm glad it's like Whiplash on here. Like what? Are... <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad that All Quiet in the Western Front is um, as great as it is because you know. It's like peaks and peaks and troughs in a way. Um, so yeah, uh, our next film that we'll be discussing is Cimarron, which won the fourth fourth Academy Awards uh, for the Best Picture. Um, and hopefully, uh, you will join us for that one next month on the fifteenth. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch us on Twitter at Awards Don't Pod and on Facebook as well as at Awards Don't Matter. Uh, you can catch me personally on my page at the Curb AU. And Dave, where can we find you? Oh, you and can find me on Twitter as well. Oh yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dave A. Giannini, and my other podcasts are at Directed by Pod and at Queer Now Pod. Or you can uh, take a look at my writing on a little website called The Curb. They have gone bravely, nobly, ever forward, realizing that there is no other duty now but to save the father. Oh, how are you, Paul? Come at the right moment, Palmer. Just at the right moment. And as if to prove all I have said, here is one of the first to go. A lad who sat before me on these very benches, who gave up all to serve in the first year of the war. One of the iron youth who have made Germany invincible in the field. Look at him, sturdy and bronzed and clear-eyed, the kind of soldier every one of you should envy. You must speak to them. You must tell them what it means to serve your fatherland. No, no, I can't tell them anything. You must, Paul. Just a word. Just tell them how much they're needed out there. Tell them why you went, what it meant to you. I can't say anything. If you remember some deed of heroism, some touch of nobility, tell about it. I can't tell you anything you don't know. We live in the trenches out there. We fight.
fight. We try not to be killed. Sometimes we are. That's all. No. No, Paul. I've been there. I know what it's like. That's not what one dwells on, Paul. I heard you in here reciting that same old stuff, making more iron men, more young heroes. You still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country, don't you? Well, we used to think you knew. The first bombardment taught us better. It's dirty and painful to die for your country. When it comes to dying for your country, it's better not to die at all. There are millions out there dying for their countries. And what good is it? Paul! You asked me to tell them how much they're needed out there. He tells you, go out and die. Oh, but if you'll pardon me, it's easier to say go out and die than it is to do it. Coward! And it's easier to say it than to watch it happen. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.